Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. One of the most common questions I have gotten over the years uh, as a pastor, or one of the most common prayer requests I've had in small groups, in Bible studies, is this. How do I discover God's will for my life? Or some version of that. Hear people say, I am am praying to try to figure out what God's will for my life is. I remember when I was uh, was about 25 years old, I had just finished uh, part of seminary. I was in Virginia, and I was really in a season where I was wondering, what's next? And so what I would do um, at the time, I've fallen out of that, unfortunately. What I would do when I wanted to think and pray is I would run. And I would, now I usually go to scones when I need to think and pray. It's a different direction. Um, But I used to go on long runs. And that would really help me clear my head and pray. And I was in this whole season where I was just like, God, what's next? Because I had some big decisions ahead of me. Should I stay here or should I take a job offer? Um, Should I pursue another degree because I like coaching and I have to be enrolled in classes? So uh, should I do that? At the time, I was like, there was a girl I was interested in. Should I pursue her or should I not? And that consumed a lot of miles on the trail. And and apparently, it it was was over probably a three or month period where I was really praying hard about that. And apparently, God's will for my life at that time was I just get in better shape uh, because I'd found no clarity for a really long time. Um, But eventually, you know, I did stay in Virginia, I pursued another degree. I pursued another girl, which I'm glad because uh, she's been stuck with me for the last 12 years. So that worked out well. But in this moment, I just kept, I was wondering and praying, you know, God, what is your will for my life? And I would be willing to guess if you've grown up in the church or even really been a part of, you know, know, prayer is something you've, you've done before, that some version of that prayer is something you've prayed is that, is that everyone, almost everyone could probably say, you know, I have prayed before wondering, you know, God, what is your will for me or what decision should I make? You know, maybe you're in that spot right now and you're praying, God, like, should I take this job or not? Or if you're a college student and you go, what, what should my major be? Or if you're in high school looking ahead, it's like, what, you know, what, what should I pursue with my life? Or if you're single and you're dating, you might be, oh, is this person the one? Like, what should I do? Or maybe you're just sitting here thinking, God, I have no clue. I don't even have options. I don't even know what to choose from. God, I have no clue. What should I do? Uh, did anyone grow up uh, playing with, you know, have a magic eight ball toy that they would have? You sinners. <laughs> playing with witchcraft? Are you kidding me? You probably read Harry Potter too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, so magic, I'm just kidding. Magic eight balls. What you do is, if you, most everyone's familiar with them, you, sh- you ask it a question, you shake it, and you wait for the answer. And did you know that there's 20 stock answers in, in, in a magic eight ball? There's 10 positives, five negatives, and five uh, like, things that don't really give you any direction at all. And, so, and then what do you do when you ask it a question and you don't get the answer you like? I'm going to shake it again until I get this answer that I like. You, know, you, just, you, you just kind of keep, keep going with it. Um, often, sometimes we pray for God's will. 
we sort of treat God like a magic eight ball. Well, what we're really after is, you know, sometimes it's called God's will of direction. You've got, I need to know what this next decision is I should make. God, 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 show me. Oh, please show me what I'm supposed to do. Results still unclear is what it often, it often feels like. Because we, but we seek God's direction for our decisions, and it's a good thing because some of our decisions have a disproportionate impact on the rest of our lives. Like, who are you going to marry? That really has a big impact on your life. Even, you know, what job am I going to take? What school should I go to? And often behind sometimes our zeal for that prayer is this fear that if I make the wrong decision, I'm going to miss out on God's will for my life. We might not say it like that, but there's this whole idea of like, what if I choose wrong? Then what do I do? Oh no, this is a big decision. God, please tell me what I should do. And so I have some both good news and maybe not good news. The good news is God's will for your life is pretty clearly laid out in scripture. So there is going to be some really good news. The bad news is that most often God does not operate like a magic eight ball where if we bring our decisions to him, he gives us a clear answer on everything we should do next um, as much as I would like that. Now, to be clear, that's happened in my life before, where I've prayed for specific things. And when it, you know, when it comes to going into pastoral ministry, that was really clear. I wasn't even praying for it. God just kind of struck me with it. Um, when it came to once I had an option between two jobs, one in Massachusetts, one in New Hampshire, I felt really clear in answer to prayer, go to New Hampshire. Uh, getting married was more like, don't blow this stupid, okay? You can do this. <laughs> but often, God's will for your life is way more about who you are becoming than what you're going to be doing or where you'll be going. When you look at especially the New Testament, when these phrases are used, this is the will of God for you, it is almost always about who you are becoming as opposed to where should I go or what should I do. So the good news is who God wants you to become is very clear. That is revealed to us in Scripture. And that is something we should celebrate. So God's will for our life is laid out pretty clear. So this is the fourth week in our series, Teach Us to Pray. We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, and we've been going through it line by line, kind of highlighting every phrase that Jesus is calling us to pray. To, to pray. And hopefully as you have been listening and going through the series, this has allowed you to pray the Lord's Prayer in a more deep and meaningful way. As you've seen that, this is not just some trite children's prayer that you teach to little kids that you never kind of, you know, there is so much depth to this prayer. And I know as I've been learning more, it's been really, really hitting me like this is one of the most radical, life-altering, life-changing, bold prayers you could pray when you fully understand what Jesus means when he says, pray then like this. So let me read, we'll re actually read it together. This is uh, recorded in Matthew, the, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, pray then like this, and then he goes, we'll put it up on the screen, we'll say it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
So the line we're going to be looking at today, if you hadn't guessed, is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you, I think I've asked this before, have looked back on your life, knowing what you know now, and gone, wow, I am glad that God did not answer a few of my prayers. (laughs) Knowing what you know now, you look back on, you say, thank you for not answering that prayer. I love how Daryl Johnson, he wrote a book I've been reading, puts it. He says, talking about himself, I look back at a number of turning points in my life and now rejoice that my will was not done. Because as good as it might have been, my will was not as well informed as I thought. I love that line. My will was just not as well informed as I thought. And then he goes on and he he quotes a theologian talking about this. And he says, in the last analysis, we know very little about our real needs, about what we lack, about what we need. So we often pray foolish things that are sometimes totally different than what we need. So he he said, we're naked, and instead of praying for clothing, we pray for bonbons. We're imprisoned by certain passions, and instead of praying for freedom, we pray for a Persian rug for our cell. So often we pray senseless things that have no relation to our true needs, and the reason is we do not know the deepest wants and necessities of our life at all. I was so struck by that last line. We do not know the deepest wants and necessities of our life at all. But you know what? There's someone who does. There is is someone who has created you, who knows the deepest wants and necessities of your life. And he teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we keep using this word God's will this morning. What, What is that? What does that mean? So it, this is a, a phrase that comes up a lot in scripture. Romans 12, 2 says this, talking about God's will. It says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what we can learn from this is, one, God's will is something you can discover. It's pretty clear in Romans 12, 2. And then also, whatever it is, it is good, and pleasing and perfect. It's discoverable and it is good, pleasing and perfect. It's a, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good endorsement right there of God's will. But again, that still doesn't define what is it. So before we go any further, let me define it. Um, basically, every bit of preaching, every every bit of advice I've gotten preaching the last ten years has said: whatever you do, do not give people the dictionary definition of a word. It is boring. It is bland. People will check out. Uh, So as a natural-born contrarian, I would like to give you the dictionary definition of will because I found it very helpful. We'll put it up here. So will, the way it's used in in, in Matthew, is in the Greek, it's the word thelema, which has the idea behind it of purpose and pleasure. So God's will be something God's purpose or something that brings God's pleasure. So it can be what one wishes or has determined shall be done. It's also the purpose of God to bless mankind through Jesus or of what God wishes to be done by us. So God's will seen through his commands, his, his, his laws and will, choice, desire, pleasure. You, can all, you guys can all now come from the edge of your seat and kind of go back to sitting as you were. It is. 
But when Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this is what he is teaching us to pray. God, make what brings you joy and pleasure come to be. Make what is good and pleasing and perfect come to pass on earth in my life as it is in heaven. You see, as we start to bring the layers of the onion open again, this is a big, bold prayer. But it still begs the question, okay, what brings God joy and pleasure? What are the things specifically we should be praying for? And just here's just a couple. If you do a word study, like what is God's will, you're going to see tons of them. But 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4 says, this is good and pleases God our Savior. So this is God's will. That the God who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. It brings God pleasure and joy when people are saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So it's God's will for you to be thankful. 1 Timothy 4.3 said, It's God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. That is God's good, perfect, and pleasing will for you. In Hebrews 13, 20 through 21, I, I love this. And just as I read it, look at the interplay between like will and pleasure, how those two concepts work together. It says, this is the, sort of right at the end of this, this book. It says, now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. So now may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So not only are we called to pray for God's will, we are also called to, to pray to the God who can equip us to do his will. So that's good news, that you're not going to leave here being like, Whew, how in the world am I going to do that? So it goes back to Jesus. I need you to help me do that. So I did youth ministry for about 15 years before I jumped into church planting. And in working with junior and senior high students, there was, you know, you, over a long period of time, you start to see themes and patterns. And one big pattern I saw was parents desperately not wanting their kids to make the same mistakes they did. Mm-hmm. That you just, oh, I just do not want you to make this same mistake. And then on the flip side, I'd get to talk to the kids who would have the same complaint over and over again, which is some version of, they think they know what's best for my life. They keep telling me what to do, and I wish they didn't because it's pretty frustrating. (laughs) It's just so frustrating because they think they know what's best for me, and they're just trying to control way too much. Uh, Anyone feel like that growing up? Like, hey, back off. It's my life. Let me live it, all right? And there's going to be some, uh, you know, if you're if some teenagers here that are just like, I'm not making eye t- contact with my parents right now. <laughs> this might come over lunch, but just straight ahead, I'm not looking to the side. So as a parent now, I have a totally different outlook on this. And I was that like, oh, come on, like, you don't, like, you don't know everything. Let, 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 me, live, let me live my life. Um, but as I watch my kids grow up, again, I have a different perspective on, and I have much more compassion for being on the other side of that. Because if you're a parent, when you watch your kids grow up, you for sure have a will for their life. And you are very convinced you know what is good and pleasing and perfect for them. And what's so frustrating is how unappreciative they are for that. (laughs) You have it all laid out for them, and they just don't care or don't want to listen. 
And there's going to be so many times where you're going to say, I know you don't understand this now, but I'm doing this or saying this because I want what's best for you. You're going to say that. Um, you know, I know, I know you want ice cream for breakfast, Albert, but you can't because uh, it's going to lead to a sugar crash and it's going to be disaster later. <laughs> I, when I was 20, around 25, I was working at a camp and I was working with the junior high students and some sixth grade boy goes, wait, you, you live by yourself? You must have ice cream for breakfast all the time. I was like, actually, no, I never have. And the look he gave me of just like total disgust and disappointment that I had this amazing opportunity and did not step into it. I'll never, I'll never forget it. Uh, but there's always going to be a battle of wills going on. You've heard the phrase, a strong-willed child. That's a kid that has a very has their understanding of what is the good, pleasing, and perfect plan for what they want to do, and they do not care if that you know, comes in uncontrary to what, you, to what you want for them. And as a parent, or watching even friends like that, you're often left exasperated thinking, why? Why are you the way that you are? <laughs> why are you making life so difficult for yourself and for everybody else? And I can't help but wonder if that is what God feels about us on a pretty regular basis. Why? Why are you making it so difficult on yourself? Because God sure has a lot of strong-willed children. You are one of them. (laughs) I am one of them. So let's operate under the assumption, though, that if there is a God and he is good, then what he wants and desires for us really truly is, in the words of the Apostle Paul, good and pleasing and perfect. Let's, let's operate under that assumption, which means that everything God desires for us, his will for us, is truly for our best. And everything that goes up against God's will for us does not lead towards freedom, but messes us up. Hear that. If this is, if follow that chain, if this is true, then everything that goes against God's will for us, every time we look at God's commands and we're like, you know what? I know better. I'm going to do my own thing. That does not lead towards freedom. It messes us up. That I think is because, and, and, and this has been something that was so helpful and so exciting as I thought about it, is that God's will for us, God desires for us to be free. So Jesus in John 8 says, if you abide in my word, you are, you, truly, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So at the forefront of when we're thinking about what is God's will for our life, what does he want for us? He wants us to be free. But freedom is found in following him. Freedom is found in God's, when we talk about God's will for our life, so much of it is really clear he says, do this. This is the path towards life. Don't do this. This is the path towards destruction. Understanding God's will for your life often is just trusting him that what he says is good and pleasing and perfect and distrusting ourselves, distrusting our motives, distrusting that, you know what? We might feel like we're really enlightened and we might know better in this area and just being like, you know what? We give ourselves way too much credit. That if this truly is God's word and God's gift to us and he truly cares about us and truly desires how we should live, then living into that type of life is the path towards freedom. 
so often what the Bible does uh, talk about when it comes to freedom is not the freedom to do whatever we want. Like we want to be like Elsa and Frozen. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free, exactly. But the Bible says that is not the path to freedom. That is the path to slavery. We are enslaved to every passion and desire where everything you feel and every urge you have to say yes to. And freedom in the scriptures is often the freedom from something. The freedom from having to always indulge. The freedom from having your desires rule you. And the freedom to worship Jesus was everything you have. Uh, e. Stanley Jones, he was a Methodist missionary, and he said this. He said, God's commands are not an imposition, but an exposition. And what that means is God's commands for you are not something imposed on the outside to ruin your fun. But rather, they, are, you know, they expose what is true. So I'll give you just two quick examples of, of what I mean by that. So when God says, you shall have no other gods before me, he's not saying that because he's petty and jealous. He is saying that because you were created in a way that you are only truly satisfied in him. It's like St. Augustine who said, some version of, our, you have made us for yourself, God. And our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. So these, these commandments of God are not things that are initially imposed from the outside, but just reveal reality about how they've been made. Or in Genesis, we talk about, so we talk about rest a lot and Sabbath. When it says, you know, six days you shall work and the seventh shall be a Sabbath unto the Lord. Why is God telling us that we need to stop one day out of seven? Is it because he doesn't want us to be productive? Is it because he's wanting to, you know, again, mess stuff up for us? No, it's because he has created us in a way that if we go, 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 it's not good for us. It's freeing. Freedom is found. The, the good life is found in listening to what God has for us, which is almost always what it talks about with God. What is your will for my life? His will is that you know him. His will is that you experience him and his will that you become free from the things that entangle us. And it's amazing what happens when you are living into that, how much some of these other decisions that we're so often concerned about seem to either be easier to make or not nearly as a big a deal because God, what God is working on you is who you are and your character and who you are becoming. And it doesn't matter if you go here or there or buy this house or don't buy this house or whatever. You can be happy and free and full of joy because it's about who you are becoming. Uh, I came across this this week, and it was, it was really helpful just talking, though, about, you know, because this is, this is a series on prayer. I know I've been talking a lot about God's will, but this is a series on prayer, and for us to pray, God, your will be done on earth as in heaven, not mine. And I think he teaches to pray this because often our prayers might be more like, dear Father in heaven, make my name great and my fame grow. Help me build my kingdom here on earth, and may my will, what, brings me, what makes me happy, be accomplished. That is going to be much more of our tendency to lean into that. But to pray, your will be done, is a radical declaration. It will reorient our priorities. It will have us have a, a, a much different take on life. Because Jesus, what he explains is this is the good life. It's so much different than what you're going to hear everywhere else. His path, even when he says, my path is narrow. Uh, I came across this this morning as I was kind of putting my final edits together. It says, the world says, follow your heart. 
Jesus says, follow me. The world says, discover yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. The world says, believe in yourself. Jesus says, believe in me. But that leaves us with a choice, though. How do we know? How do we know God's will and God's way is truly what's best? How can we trust Jesus? Because that's a big, I mean, it's not as if this isn't a big ask. Saying, deny yourself, follow me. You know, believe in me. Don't, 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 don't trust every whim that you come across. And here is why for me, I know and I'm fully confident that Jesus can be trusted. It's because there's another place in scripture where Jesus himself prayed, your will be done. And Luke in the garden, when Jesus is about to go to the cross, when the magnitude of what, what is in front of him is hitting him and he is praying so intensely, he then says this in Luke twenty two forty two: Father, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want, to do, I, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And for me, whenever I'm confused or I'm hurting, I just like, God, what are you up to? I don't get it. Why'd you allow this to happen? Why am I going through this? When all of these things sometimes feel confusing to me, I go back and I just kind of think about that moment. Because if Jesus, when faced with this choice, said, your will be done, not mine, and gladly took on the cross, then if anything in life is unfair, the scales are tipped incredibly in our favor. Whenever you think life's not fair, you're right. But it's not fair in your favor. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we had nothing to bring to the table, the perfect God of the universe, the, the, the one who we have spurned his good and perfect will and done our own on a very regular basis, still went to the cross, died for us, said, Father, not, your will be done, not mine. And that is a God worth trusting. That is a God worth following with all of your life. And that is a God when he says, this is my will for you, you can know for sure that it is good and you can trust it because of the cross. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.